so 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, I want to start with a question. Who's the most famous person you've ever met? If you can just think in your mind, um, many of you maybe have met, you know, a hockey player or an actor or a musician or, or whatever. Uh, I'll just share a few of mine. Um, when we uh, were first married and we had no kids uh, yet, we were in Bellingham and uh, my wife and I, and we were at a post office. I can't remember why we were there, but we were at a post office in Bellingham and we look over and mailing some packages was Ryan Stiles. Now, some of you are like, who's that? Uh, the whose line is it anyway guy, the tall one. And we were like, there he is. And then he walked by us and he almost brushed our arm. It was like, ah! okay. And then uh, my other one was um, when we, we went to Vegas and the guy who's the ventriloquist who does the puppets, see how famous is he? I don't even know his name, but he walked by us and was like, that's the guy that does the puppet thing. Um, my, my wife was on a, a missions trip in New York and the place where they're they were staying was across the street from uh, a theater, and Denzel Washington was doing a play there. And so uh, Molly said, like, every night there would be a crowd of people just waiting outside, waiting to see if they could glimpse Denzel, and, and on and on and on, right? And you have your own stories of, you know, these famous people that you met. And on one hand, I mean, I kind of get it. Because, right, you watch, you watch a movie or you love a, a, a band or whatever, and if you ever get to meet them, I, I get the idea behind, you know, being starstruck and being like, oh my goodness, I loved you in that movie and now here you are. So I get it to a certain degree why we do that with people. Um, we do this with Christians too. We have a, a whole kind of Christian celebrity world that we live in. Uh, and, and that one is a little more odd to me, right? We have these celebrity Christians, whether they're megachurch pastors or they're authors or they're preachers or whatever it is. Um, one of my favorite authors is Daryl Johnson, and he's written a, a book on uh, the book of Revelation that just kind of like changed my whole worldview. It was an amazing book, and he's written a book on the uh, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, which was just a fantastic, I've listened to some of his sermons, and then I saw that he was going to be the guest speaker um, at our pastor's conference for the, the MB world, and it was like, oh great, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear him live and in person, that's so cool, and we went to Whistler, and in the hotel, I, I was coming down, and there's Daryl Johnson in the lobby, and I was like, I got to work up the courage to go talk, hi Daryl, it's me, it's me, Andrew, and I'm your biggest fan, and, and it was just so stupid, but I did that. I was like, your book changed my life, and blah, 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 and he was just like, thanks, this is great. Uh, security, right? Um, but we do that, right? Now, here's, here's, here's what's weird. The whole Christian celebrity thing is just odd, right? Can we just admit that? We elevate people, but like, wow, you're a really good follower of Jesus, and they're famous for, for it. Or it's like, you preach really good sermons and we're just starstruck. Or your, your book about whatever. Like, it's just odd that we do that in the Christian world. Now, this is not a, a problem that only exists today. 2,000 years ago, this same problem existed in the Corinthian church. Uh, remember, in chapter 1, we learned about these divisions that were happening, and the divisions were not theological. They were around different personalities. I follow Paul. I follow Cephas. I follow Apollos. And they were dividing and arguing over who was the better preacher and teacher, and they had, you know, Team Paul, Team Apollos. 
and, and they treated them like celebrities because that's what the culture of the day did with the different sophists and, and teachers and speakers of the day. So in our text today in chapter 3, Paul's actually come full circle now. So he addressed the divisions um, halfway through chapter 1. And then it's like he kind of went on a tangent and he talked about the, the seeming foolishness of the cross. And, and then he talked about true wisdom from God. And now it's like he's come full circle and he's, he's back to the situation that was going on in the Corinthian church. This idea of the celebrity culture and lifting up different leaders. So chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, is actually addressing church leaders and our view of them. How do we view our leaders? And so four things this passage does as we kind of walk through it. Number one, Paul will say Christian celebrity culture is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Uh, Number two, God is the real celebrity. Um, Number three, God determines what success looks like for church leaders And then lastly, God will hold church leaders accountable. So you'll see these four uh, areas as we work our way through. So let's start by reading verses 1 to 4 together, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So Paul begins chapter 3 with the word but. It's like he's, he's saying, remember, right? He just talked about wisdom, wisdom from the Spirit. You have the mind of Christ. And now there's this transition where he goes, but... Right? All of that is true. You have the mind of Christ. You have the Spirit. Here's what wisdom looks like. But I I actually can't address you as spiritual people because you're acting like people of the flesh, like infants, babies in Christ. And the word flesh is uh, sarkonos in the Greek language, and it means something that's characterized by the unredeemed human nature. With all of the the flesh's desires and characteristics. It just means worldly. You're acting like someone who who doesn't know Jesus. Now, here's what we need to clarify. Paul's not saying that they aren't Christians. He's not saying, well, now you've lost your salvation and you're just like the the fleshly, worldly people. He's saying, you are Christians. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But your divisive behavior shows that you're acting like unbelievers. You're acting as if you don't have the Spirit. And Paul, his whole point is in verse 3. He says there's jealousy and strife, right? There's fighting and jealousy and arguments among you. Uh, and, and, and it's all related to the who's the better pastor and preacher and teacher. And he says you're, you're actually behaving in just a strictly human way. You're behaving like the world behaves. And like I said, it all goes back to their obsession with their chosen speakers. I'm team Paul, I'm team Apollos, I'm team Cephas. And so Paul says in verse 2, well, I, have, I, have, I, I, I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. And so what does that mean, right? When Paul says, I actually gave you milk instead of solid food, we, we know from last week 
that he's not talking about like a two-tiered gospel. He's not saying, oh, the milk is the gospel and the solid food is the secret hidden Gnostic knowledge of God. That's, Paul just debunked that. He says, no, the secret hidden knowledge of God is the gospel. So there's not, he's not saying, oh, there's this two-tiered kind of gospel. Initially, you know, you, you hear the gospel and then once you're ready, then I'll give you the super secret stuff. That's, that's not what he's saying. Milk and solid food are both the gospel of the crucified Jesus. But milk is like the, the good news for salvation, right? When you first hear about that you're a sinner saved by grace through faith in Christ, and then the solid food then is, is your sanctification, understanding that the entire Christian life is predicated and it's built on the reality of the, the cross. So they didn't realize that Paul was giving them solid food. So again, Paul, in a, in a, a very clever way, he's actually using their kind of language, right? They were obsessed with rhetoric and wisdom and logic and deep things, and so he's using their language uh, against them, because think of, think of the slam that this was to them. The Corinthians were very proud, and what were they proud about? How wise and smart and brilliant they were, and Paul comes in, and he says, I have to bottle feed you kids, right? Think about how that was a, that's a slam against them, saying you think that you're wise and you're, you're knowledgeable, and, 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 and actually, I have to come and feed you like a, like a baby is fed, so what Paul is saying is not that the Corinthians needed a change of diet, but they need a change in perspective. That's what he means by, by milk and solid food. Again, it's so easy to fall into this thing of like, okay, well, then the gospel's milk, and we're missing out on solid food. No, Paul's saying your perspective has to change. Um, Morna Hooker, who's a, a brilliant uh, theologian, she said this, yet while he uses their language... The fundamental contrast in Paul's mind is not between two quite different diets which he has to offer, but between the true food of the gospel with which he's fed them, whether milk or meat, and the synthetic substitutes which the Corinthians have preferred. So Paul's saying, it's like, it's like I, I got to come and kind of spoon feed you the gospel again. Because you, you you're, not, you're not feeding yourselves. You're, you're turning to all of these other things. So here's the first point Paul makes. The, the, the Corinthians are obsessed with their celebrity preachers. And what is it doing? It's causing strife, division, and jealousy in the church. So Paul is telling them that this is a sign not of wisdom and maturity. This is a sign of spiritual immaturity. They are acting like spiritual babies, right? So for us, this is what, this is what it means for us. It is a sign of immaturity when you elevate your favorite pastors, preachers, leaders, and then fight about them with one another. It's not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of immaturity. And, and Paul says, when you do that, aren't you just acting like the rest of the world? Now, don't get me wrong. Part of following Jesus is growing in spiritual maturity. We want to mature as Christians, but you don't start off your walk with Jesus as a mature adult, everyone who has ever followed Jesus starts out as a baby, right? We, I've talked to, to new believers who, uh, who uh, confessed Jesus, and then they're starting to learn things, and I've, they've literally said, man, I feel like just a, like a baby when it comes to this stuff. I said, that's because you are, right? It's not a slam on you saying you're so dumb. No, every human being who's ever followed Jesus starts out as a baby, but Paul's whole point is 
you can't stay a baby, right? So uh, I'll give you a couple examples. So we have three kids. Um, our daughter, uh, Lucy, who's the oldest, is 10 almost. And if you're a parent, you know that when you have a baby, um, you feed them. Sometimes it's with a bottle, but it's, it's spoon-fed, right? And then they get a little bit older, and then you feed them solids. Even now with our three-year-old, we still cut the meat up and try, and he says, can you help me, please? I'm too, my arms don't work. Can you put the food in my mouth? And that's just part of being a kid. Now, Lucy, at 10 years old, if every day the school called and said, it's lunchtime, can you come feed Lucy her bottle? That would be a bad sign. We would go, why is this child still bottle-fed? Right? Why, why, why doesn't she know yet how to, to feed herself? Why isn't she eating like a, a, a bag lunch like, like everybody else? Now, it would be even worse if Lucy grows up and then goes to college and she goes, well, mom and dad, you got to come with me. How do I feed myself? Right? So when it's a baby, we go, yeah, of course you have to bottle feed and, and spoon feed a baby, but there's an expectation that they'll grow up and they'll learn how to feed themselves. Um, many of you know that I grew up um, playing baseball, and so when you start a sport, um, you stink, usually, <laughs> right? And you just have to learn the basics. Here's how you throw a ball. Here's how you catch a ball. Here's how you run the bases. Here's how you hit a ball and using strategy and things like that. Now, you know, if, if after me playing baseball for 10 years, if I got up and held the bat upside down and ran the bases the wrong way, people would go, there's something wrong with him. Why doesn't he know the basics of how to play baseball? I think this is what Paul's getting at. He's going, listen, being a spiritual baby, there's nothing wrong with that, but you just can't stay a spiritual baby. And so the Corinthians, they, they, sure, they began, and Paul fed them milk, and they were learning the gospel. And it's like he's saying, still, guys? You still need milk? You're acting like, like babies still. You should be farther along in your walk with Jesus. So Christian celebrity culture and obsession with pastors and preachers and teachers and arguing about it, it's a, it's a sign that you're spiritually immature. Now, Paul continues in verse 5 to 9, uh, and this is his argument. Verse 5, he says this, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building." So, right, the Corinthians are elevating Paul, Apollos, Peter, their favorite celebrities. And I love that Paul responds by saying, what is Apollos? What is Paul? We're just servants through whom you believed the gospel. Who are we? Right, Paul planted. He was the one that brought the gospel to the Corinthians. Apollos watered it, right? He continued teaching. But, but, but Paul says, but it's God. God's the one who made it grow, God is the real celebrity. That's Paul's second point. God is the real celebrity. God's the one who determines the growth. The workers, the servants, they're simply on the same team doing what God has assigned them to do. So it's like Paul saying, stop quarreling over um, whose tasks are, are better when really both were nothing in comparison to the activity of, of God. Focus on God. 
God is the one who saves. He's the one who sanctifies. He's the one that makes you grow. Why are you guys obsessed with us, Paul says. And you'll notice that in verses 5 to 8, all of the emphasis is on God, right? Paul says, Apollos and Paul are servants, but God's the one who assigned the task. So they didn't even choose. God assigned them to it. He says, Paul planted Apollos' waters. God gives the growth. Planter and irrigator are nothing. God gives the growth. The planter and the irrigator are equal. God gives the reward for the toil. So Paul's whole point is the labor with, of, of one without the other, it would just be useless. Both roles are essential, and actually both laborers are interchangeable. If Apollos came first and planted and Paul watered, who cares? Who cares who does what as long as God's the one who's giving the growth, God produces the harvest. Any kind of rivalry between a planter and a waterer is just absurd. I, I actually began to think, like, can you imagine working on a farm and there was someone whose job it was to run the machine and plant the seeds, and then it, it was someone's job then to go and water the seeds. Can you um, imagine them bickering over whose job was more important? Well, you wouldn't have anything to water if I didn't plant the seeds. Well, your seeds would die if I didn't water. I think like the head farmer would just be like, hey, knock it off. Just do your job, right? You're both important. Stop arguing over who is better. And really, it's like God created the seed. God created the soil. God created the water. God created you as the workers. God created everything. So stop bickering and just give glory to God. He's the one that makes things grow. So then the question, well, who should get any kind of praise or adoration or fame or glory for anything that happens in the church? Any growth in your spiritual walk, who gets the praise and the glory? God does. God's the real celebrity. Right? And I've, I've made a really, uh, I've tried to make a conscious uh, choice in my mind because, I mean, you guys are very kind and after sermons, it's, uh, you know, thank you, that was great. And I always, I always say, well, praise God. Man, there's people who are like, how did you know that that's what I needed to hear? I didn't know. I had no idea. Isn't God amazing, right? He's the one that makes you grow. One leader plants, one leader waters. God gives the growth. God is the real celebrity, not any preacher, teacher, leader, pastor. Now, in verse 9, Paul switches the metaphor from farming to building, Right? He says, we're, we're God's fellow workers. He's talking about um, Paul and Apollos, Peter. He says, we're God's fellow workers. You, he means the church, the, the Corinthian church, you're God's field. And then he switches and he says, you're God's building. And in verses 10 to 15, now Paul's going to talk about how God rewards, he, God determines what success looks like. So verses 10 to 15, it says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done." If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, this section of Scripture is most often quoted about being about your own personal spiritual life, 
as an individual. That's actually not what Paul's talking about. Now, again, principles of like, should you build your life? Yeah, of, of course. But we live in such an individual, self, you know, autonomous society that we say, well, that's just talking about me as an individual. It's actually not. Paul's actually addressing, what is the context of chapter 3? He's addressing leaders in the church. What is our view of leaders in the church? Pastors, preachers, uh, teachers. And so P- Paul is talking about how God determines what true success looks like. So verse 10, Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me. What does he mean? He's talking about his apostleship. God's grace in calling Paul an apostle, which had authority to preach and to teach and to, to write scripture. Paul says, I laid a foundation. Now someone else is building on it. Well, who is that? Those are teachers and leaders in the Corinthian church. Paul didn't stay, right? He stayed for 18 months. He laid this foundation, and then he left, and he says, now other people are building on the foundation. He's talking about leaders in the church. So he says, let each one, who? Leaders, let each one, he's not talking about everybody, let each one, the leaders, take care of how he builds on it. So how do you build on the foundation? I think it's primarily through the the preaching and the teaching of God's Word, through instruction. And verse 11, Paul says the foundation is Jesus. In order for a church to be a church, the foundation cannot be anything else but the gospel of Jesus, Christ crucified. That's the foundation. If your foundation as a church is anything different, you're not a church, right? The foundation is Christ crucified, and then Paul says other people are building on this foundation, and he lists a whole bunch of materials, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Notice the different types of materials. We'll get to that in a minute, but you go, okay, these are vastly different types of building materials. And then in verse 13, each one's work, who? The leaders, each one's work will become manifest on the day, Right? Capital D, day. He's talking about the return of Jesus. Judgment day. And it will be revealed by fire, and the fire tests which, which kind of, what sort of work each leader has done as they build on the foundation. And Paul says if, in verse 14 and 15, if the work survives, then they get a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, they'll suffer loss, though he himself is saved. So notice, He's not talking about salvation being burned up. He says, the work that you've done to build will be burned up, but you'll be saved. But through fire, right? I heard one guy say, you know, there's some people who are going to get to heaven smelling like smoke. It's like, okay, you're here, but you've been through fire, right? So it's leaders in the church that Paul's talking about. He's saying the foundation is Jesus And then different leaders and preachers and teachers build on the foundation of Jesus. And at the end, any of their work is going to be tested. And if you think about the list of materials, what do you think will survive fire? Right? Paul says gold, silver, precious stones. Um, Those things can be heated up to crazy temperatures and and they, they won't be destroyed. But will wood, hay, and straw survive fire? No. So let me, let me unpack this for us so we understand. Um, we all know, uh, I, if I had a whiteboard, I would draw it for you, but if you can just imagine on this side, we all know what false teaching is, right? We have a category that we would go, that's false teaching, where uh, Jesus is not the Son of God. Um, 
you know, the Trinity doesn't exist. The Bible is not God's authoritative word. We would classify that as, well, that's false teaching. It's not true. And then, if you can imagine on the other side, we have true teaching, right? The gospel of Jesus. You're saved by grace through faith, right? The Trinity, Jesus being fully God, fully human, right? Every church thinks that they're over here in this category. (laughs) We're the true church, right? But in between false teaching and true teaching is a whole category which I would call disputable teaching. I, I heard one guy call it faulty teaching, where, where it, it's not false teaching, but if we're honest, we're not 100% sure if it's true. It's debatable. It's, it's disputable teaching. So let me give you some examples, right? Are you uh, uh, an Arminian or are you a Calvinist? God's sovereignty and human free will interacting together, where do you land on that? Right, and I know that there's nut jobs in both camps, okay? So you go, but I know a Calvinist who's crazy. Yeah, me too. I know an Arminian who's crazy, okay? But, but you go, okay, how God's sovereignty and free, human free will interact at the same time, where do you land on that? Well, it's, dis- it's disputable. It's debatable. Is it false teaching? No. Now, someone's right, and at the end, when each teacher is uh, evaluated what they built on the foundation, we'll know, and the Arminians will be burned with fire. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I am joking. But we'll know. We'll go, oh, I was wrong about that disputable, debatable argument, and my teaching on it will just be burned away. Okay. Like, are you a complementarian or are you egalitarian? Right? Do, do, do women hold positions of authority in the church as elders and pastors or not? It's debatable. And at the end, when Jesus returns, he'll say, you guys were right, and this is burned away, and you're rewarded for the teaching that you've done on it. It doesn't affect your salvation. Right? Is the earth young or old? You're not going to be in hell for believing in an old earth or a young earth. But at the end... A teacher will be rewarded or it'll burn away depending on what they taught. So do you see what Paul is getting at is the foundation is so crucial. The foundation is the gospel of Jesus. And then every teacher and leader and preacher and Bible study leader and whatever builds on the foundation. But at the end of the day, God will determine what survives and what's rewarded and what burns away. And I think ultimately what Paul is getting at is what determines true success in ministry, and the answer is faithfulness. Now, it's quite sad because um, I see so much in the church world where it's I get sent, you know, seminars and conferences and webinars and things about how to make your church successful. Here's the five tips you need. And most often, we determine church success by how big a church is, how many people come. Uh, you know, the number of book deals your pastor has or money or whatever, flashy teaching or illustration, and on and on and on, on. We determine success by all of these worldly things. God determines success is, is the church and are the leaders faithful to the foundation of Christ crucified? That is what matters. Are they faithful? Are they, are they, are they messing around with the foundation? Or is the foundation Jesus on a cross for your sins That is what God determines as true success. Is it faithfulness to the gospel? 
And all of this stuff in the middle, right, debatable, disputable, it's still important. Both sides still think they're right, but at the end, on the great day, there will be rewards, and then other things will just be burnt away. Now, lastly, I think this is even seen in the last few verses of this section, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, again, in our very individualistic, you know, autonomous, it's all about the individual society, we've made those verses about each individual person, but actually the you in the Greek language is plural. It's, it's like Paul saying, do, y- do y'all not know, right, if he was Southern? It's, it's a collective you. He's not saying you as, now, you as an individual, later on, Paul's going to say, yes, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, right, in chapter 6, but right now he's saying the church, y'all are God's temple. You all, collectively, God's Spirit dwells in the church, And if anyone destroys God's temple, if anyone monkeys around with the foundation, right, of God's temple and tries to destroy the church, I mean, it's harsh. God will destroy him. But what that shows us is that God cares so much about his church and he measures measures success by faithfulness. And if people are determined to teach false things, cause division, cause strife, build up a name for themselves essentially destroying the temple, destroying the church, God is against them. So I think this whole section, Paul is trying to correct the Corinthians' understanding of their leaders. And so to summarize, he he just starts by saying, listen, this celebrity Christianity, this obsession with your individual favorite preacher and teacher and elevating them and then having strife and jealousy and divisions, it's actually a sign that you are spiritually immature, You're behaving like infants. You're behaving like the world. Then Paul shows them that actually God is the real celebrity. Christian leaders are slaves. They're servants of God. God is the one who gives the growth. He's the one who determines whether you grow or not. Like give praise to God, not to your human leaders. Thirdly, God's the one who determines what true success looks like, right? Is the foundation Jesus, Is that what is being preached, the gospel, Christ crucified? Are your leaders faithful? That's what success looks like. And anything that uh, that is taught and anything that is uh, preached and anything that whatever is built upon, those things will either survive in the end and be rewarded or they'll be burnt up. And anyone who destroys the, the church, God's temple, they'll be held accountable for it. So for leaders in the church, and again, I think this goes beyond just, you know, the lead pastor. Leaders in the church would be anyone who has a a ministry of teaching and building right on the foundation of the gospel, whether you lead a life group, whether you're an elder, whether you're uh, a, a teacher downstairs, whatever it is. If you're involved in teaching, it's a good reminder to know that we're actually just servants. We're on the same team. Someone plants, someone waters, but God's the one who's going to give the growth. Can we just pray for growth regardless of who plants and who waters? And you will be judged, leaders, teachers, Bible study leaders, whatever, you will be judged for your faithfulness. 
not how big your church is, not how big your Bible study is. You will be judged on were you faithful to the foundation of the gospel. Now, for all of us, because you might be going, well, I'm not a leader in the church, so I'm off the hook, right? But, the, but it begs the question, what do we look for in our leaders? Right? Maybe, maybe you have found yourself obsessed with this kind of celebrity Christian culture. Paul would say it's a sign that you're immature. And so the warning would be the same. Stop elevating these human beings to these holy, untouchable platforms. The criteria, and that's not to say you can't enjoy preaching and teaching and just be blessed by them, but the criteria is, is that individual faithful? Are they continually pointing me to the foundation of Christ crucified? And does God continually get the praise for, for anything that they do, right? If you're growing because of someone's teaching, don't praise them. Praise the one who gives the growth, who is God. So, Father, I just thank you. Um, the book of Corinthians is so practical. Um, and, and, Paul, and Paul is just laying out um, a, a proper view of our leaders. And, and God, it's just, it's funny and it's also sad sometimes how we are just so obsessed with the the personalities of our human leaders and how big their churches are and how many books they've written and what they dress like and how much money they make and how funny they are and blah, 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 on and on and on. When in reality, I mean, this passage shows us that they're simply servants and God, you are the one who determines when growth happens and how it happens and you're the one who determines what success looks like. I mean, God, really, you are the real celebrity. You are the one who, who does all of this. And yet we take praise that belongs to you alone, Jesus, and we give it to our, our human leaders and our teachers and our preachers and pastors. And so, God, would you forgive us when we elevate people? I pray that we would be blessed by good teaching but that any kind of praise would just roll off the person who's doing the preaching and teaching and that you would get the praise for giving growth, God. So, God, I, I just pray for, for leaders in the church, God, that um, those who teach, those who uh, lead Bible studies, those who preach, that they would realize just the weight of it, that leaders will be held accountable for everything, and that the things that we build on the foundation are either going to get rewarded in the end or they'll be burned up in the end. So help us to carry the kind of the, the, the seriousness and the weight of that, but also, God, live with this, this ease that the burden to produce growth is not on any of us. Faithfulness is our job, to faithfully plant, to faithfully water to faithfully build on the foundation, and Jesus, you are the one who gives the growth. And so just help us as a church, God. We want to be spiritually mature. We don't want to be immature Christians who argue and fight and divide over our favorite leaders and teachers and preachers. We want to be spiritually mature where we can look past them and see, God, what you are doing in producing growth in us. So just do this work in us, Jesus, we pray. And I just pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen.